Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, being brought to you live and will be up as a podcast within a few hours today. If you're listening to us on the podcast, you're invited to join us live and add your comments and feedback on the show. And we also welcome such feedback at our email address, ejsshow at protonmail.com. The female voice you are about to hear is Jody. The really mellifluous male voice you're about to hear is Ed. My voice, hi, I'm Steve, and that makes EJS. So with that, good afternoon. Hi, guys. Hi, Jody. So, you know, our listeners probably don't know. You guys are hanging out together, and here I am alone. I'm feeling I'm having some FOMO. It's the EJS show, and the J is far away. Between the E and the S. (laughs) (laughs) You're never far away from us, Jody. (laughs) It's fun to see you guys together, though. I have to say it's very fun. When we get rich and famous and have our first annual, you know, international gathering, so yeah. we'll all be in one place. So, yeah. We'll be on a yacht with your cup holders. Won't that be fun? Well, you know, we'll get canceled. Oh, right. Wouldn't that be great? Which part? The canceled or the cup holders? Oh, well, you know, on a yacht with the, my the, the yacht with the coast. I, I heard that if you buy enough coaster holders, you get a free yacht. <laughs> it's like, I really don't want to go back to communist New York. Yeah. So, you know... That's one of the things I think uh, works in the left's favor is people forget, right? The value of freedom. They forget what it feels like. Um, And I think that happens in places, you know, like where I live, people actually forget until you leave and you're reminded like where you guys are. I've spoken about this a whole bunch of times when I travel. New Yorkers don't even know what freedom is. No, They have no sense of it whatsoever. Then you're right. Even if they travel, then they can forget. And the people in the free states have no idea what it's like not to have freedom. Right. So they think everything is hunky-dory. And one of the things I don't understand is in a place like North Carolina, I'm next to a pickup truck, which we all know is a hillbilly, right? (laughs) And he's got on the back of his thing, uh, Republicans for Biden bumper sticker. Republicans for Biden, which I didn't even know there was such a bumper sticker. And what I don't understand is why the people in these so-called free states, is it that they don't know what the Democrats are going to do to them? I just, I really don't get it. So there is, I don't know who coined the phrase, but um, I know that, um, uh, what's this, Prager, Dennis Prager has said it not long ago, people don't really want liberty, they want to be taken care of. And so maybe that's something that's a little pervasive um, now in those communities, sadly, maybe, you know, that everything sounds really good, right? When you're going to be taken care of, it just sounds so good. But, you know, I think um, the very fact that the reality of the human mind is to forget the value of liberty uh, works in the left's favor so much. That's why they want the federal government, right, to impose its will upon free states so that people don't have the juxtaposition of freedom versus not freedom to remember how good freedom feels. My experience down living in North Carolina for a few months is that I don't see people wanting to be taken care of. I hope I, not. I, I, that's that's not something that I see, but um, there's there's something you know, this sort of reminds me of one of the big stories that I saw during this past week, which is the emergence, in my view, of, of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I've been sharing with you guys, you know, lots of really good things that she's posting on social media. Uh, but relatedly, the GOP leadership's attacks on her for making a, a Holocaust analogy about the mask wearing. And 
you know, the anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party never never leads to a whimper, let alone a complaint from the GOP. Um, eight years of Bush being called literally Hitler never got a rise out of the GOP. Uh, eight years, you know, four years of Trump being called literally Hitler never got a rise out of the GOP. But yet here is five foot two inch Marjorie Taylor Greene who's been in Congress, you know, about four months. And she makes a, a legitimate comparison, uh, talks about the jihad squad in the Democrat Party that is supporting the Palestinians, supporting anti-Semitism, supporting hatred of Jews. Um, and she's attacking them, but the GOP leadership, instead of cheering her on, is attacking her. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, getting back to your original point and, and comment, I don't know if, you know, that hillbilly in the pickup truck is following the GOP leadership or if the GOP leadership is following that hillbilly, but something is, is wrong in, in the Republican Party. Well, it gets back to what we talked about last week, the article, Republicans suck. But it really is unbelievable. I'm not following the story that closely because I'm away. I'm very um, sensitive to the Holocaust analogies for obvious reasons. But I was thinking about the expression canary in the coal mine. So my understanding is the canary dies first. And then people say, well, it's just a canary. Isn't that kind of how that expression works? So but if I would say the canary died, and I think people are all going to die. And then you say, well, you're exaggerating because it's only a canary. So really, when Marjorie Taylor Greene is comparing things to the Holocaust, and then people say, no, it's not that bad. You're not allowed to make the comparison. Right, because so far, it's only the canary. Okay, that's, so that's what I'm thinking about. So yeah, first they came for, and then they came for, and then they came for, and then it's too late. So, and, and like Ed said, everybody piling onto her, is the, the hypocrisy of that is beyond and beyond. So. Well, Ed, I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something that has literally been on my mind the last couple of days because I listen to a lot of podcasts and oftentimes I hear people on the non-left, I don't want to define them other than that they're clearly not on the left, you know, saying the minute you use any sort of Nazi comparison, you lose the argument. And as I hear that, it's usually said in some sort of intellectual arrogance sort of way. So right off the bat, I have issues with it. But what I think when I hear that is, what you're basically saying is we should ignore history, right? Let's never learn from history. And I understand uh, the caution with eliciting something so tragic and horrifying, but when there's legitimate moments to say, stop, look, learn. And, you know, the Reichstag fire is a, is a good example of what can we learn that happened from that? What can we learn about the Nazi flag replacing the German flag? Shouldn't we be having conversations? You know, uh, I was reading an article this morning from um, uh, History and History, the History Channel website about a young boy who was killed at 16 years old uh, in Nazi Germany when he learned of things that he didn't know was happening and he didn't know they were happening because the Nazi propaganda wouldn't allow him to know. And once he knew, he was angry and he ended up being killed at 16. Now, I get it. That's a really extreme example. But what we need to learn from that boy's loss of life and that experience is that, you know what, it's really dangerous to not be having the dialogue about truth and what's really happening. And you don't have to suggest, oh, 16 year olds are going to be killed, but you have to learn it's not okay to deny people truth, access to truth, transparency to truth. And that's something, why can't we have these discussions about what has happened in history, including horrible things like Nazi Germany? Those are valuable, valuable lessons that we shouldn't be ignoring. And it's funny how it's only bad when, the, when those on the right do comparisons 
that may be legit to history and we're called names or whatever, uh, but the left can do it ad nauseum and it's completely appropriate. So what's interesting to me, I'll give you one second, Ed, is if we do it, we're off the wall exaggerating. But when the left says that January 6th is far worse than 9-11, that's not exaggerating and no. that's okay. And nobody jumps on that. Yeah, go ahead, Ed. Well, here's, here's my reaction to that, Jody. I, let's stop and think, why do people say we're not supposed to make Nazi analogies? Why are we not supposed to talk about it? It's out of respect for Jewish people and out of respect for, for the victims of the Holocaust. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene is criticizing virulent, open, notorious anti-Semites. If you look up Talib, if you look up Omar, Presley, AOC, their records are replete with anti-Semitic comment after anti-Semitic comment, anti-Israel comment after anti-Israel comment. So she is, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the one speaking out, condemning the anti-Semites. And I find it beyond gross that She's being told to, she's trying, they're trying to silence her while she's trying to defend Jews and they're doing it with this, well, we have to protect Jews rationale. If you're worried about, you know, Jewish sympathies and how, what Jewish people think, how about confronting what, what Marjorie Taylor Greene calls the Jihad Squad? How about confronting these people that are defending 4,000 rockets being shot from Gaza into Israel unprovoked? And Marjorie Taylor Greene is the one who's condemning that and she's the one who's being called insensitive to Jews, that is beyond ridiculous. That's grotesque. Right. And now the really grotesque part is she's not only being put down by the Democrats, it's that the Republicans are doing it. I think right. that is the, and they just pile on to show how politically correct they can be. And by the way, Marjorie Taylor Greene is kind of like another Trump. They'd rather get rid of her because she's a troublemaker to them at any cost so they can go back to playing their uniparty game. And uh, yeah, it is grotesque. Yeah, it's, it's Kevin McCarthy has, I, I challenge anyone to find me Kevin McCarthy calling out any one of the jihad squad for, for her, for that woman's anti-Semitism. There is anti-Semitism all in the Democrat party. Nobody calls out, not even Chuck Schumer is Jewish for crying out loud. And he doesn't say a darn word about it. Nobody condemns the Democrat party's anti-Semitism. And we have to listen to these people condemn Marjorie Taylor Greene for trying to stand up for Jews and stand up for Americans. Sorry, no, that's that's not right to me. Remember well, I said last week that the law of physics was broken, that they were able to separate Schumer from the cameras. So I've seen headlines this week of where is Chuck Schumer? I'm standing up for Israel and talking against anti-Semitism. I haven't had a chance to read the articles. But yeah, it's unbelievable. Forget about the Jews on the left. But what's worse is the Republicans who only condemn our side of the street. So yeah, that's really horrible. So and I, the reason I wanted to bring up the Belarus story, so basically all we know from our end is that, so Belarus is former Soviet Union, to the very best of my knowledge, and they forced a plane down over their airspace. I think it was going from Poland to Lithuania or something. They forced an airplane down to take some journalist off the plane who they wanted for whatever, and they forced them to confess to something. And the whole world is justifiably extremely upset. And I think the EU is stopping planes from flying over Belarus and, and they're doing all kinds of other stuff. But the reason I bring that up is the same reason I'm gonna bring up John Cena got in trouble for saying that Taiwan is a country. And now John Cena is turning himself into a pretzel trying to apologize for that. So what's interesting to me is we've talked many times about what should we do about foreign policy and is isolationism even possible? So you look at the Belarus incident, we can be isolationist and not care about the rest of the world, but things can come home to us without us having to do anything. What if that were an American journalist or what there probably are Americans on the plane? And what do we do? Do we just look the other way? John Cena, as far as I know, is as pure American as you can get and just making a statement about Taiwan and, um, he has to apologize and, you know, grovel 
for the press. So what are we supposed to do? We can't even have free speech as Americans. And so it's sort of this interplay between foreign policy and how do we even function as Americans? Simon, if you want to comment on that, Ed? Well, I think in the broader context, you have to remember that we're not just normalizing insanity within the United States right now. We're institutionalizing insanity. And we're doing so not just in our, our domestic institutions, but in the military as well. This whole focus on transgenderism, this whole focus on uh, toxic masculinity, this focus on suppressing Trump supporters and getting Trump supporters out of the military uh, when the military is not supposed to be a political organization. Uh, when you look at how we're institutionalizing insanity in our culture and in our institutions, I think that we need to be very, very circumspect about trying to help anybody else abroad. I think that the likelihood of a Biden administration intervention helping any situation, uh, I don't think it's, it's likely. I mean, look at, look at how hard it's been for Biden to say even the smallest thing positive towards Israel. And that's a, as clear cut a situation as you can get. I mean, Belarus, you know, we don't really know the facts. We don't know the details, but we know what's going on in Gaza. We know that we gave them money and they've taken that money and they're firing rockets at, at Israeli citizens. And they put people, you know, they tried to get their terrorists in the tunnels to make more attacks that way. You know, Netanyahu did a good job in smoking them out and killing a bunch of them that way. Uh, but Biden can't even muster up support for Israel in, in, a, in a situation where Israeli civilians are being attacked. If he can't, if he can't do the right thing there, how is he going to do the right thing anywhere? I, I just don't think any Biden intervention anywhere is going to make any situation better. As awful as, as it's going to be to, to have the American uh, position become a vacuum, I think it will be even worse if we try to exert our power right now because we're only going to exert it for, for the forces of evil right now. So I'd rather zero than negative. Uh, I tend to agree. I don't know. Foreign policy is not my thing, but yeah, I tend to agree with that. But I think even in being isolationist, we, we can't even talk about things anywhere without, in other words, we can't just not be into foreign policy mm -hmm. because the simplest, most innocent suggestion of just happening, happening to call Taiwan a country and things go nuts. And, you know, God forbid if somebody in the NBA says something about Hong Kong keeping its freedom. I just, I don't know how isolationist you have to be for the world not to care about what you say, even in the confines of your own home. That's what kind of worries but the me. censorship. I mean, see, that's to me, that just goes back to the whole censorship that's being propagated by corporations on behalf of the government. Um, and it's the, the foreign policy problem is no real different, not really different from the domestic problem. Right. We're being silenced. We're being told we can't talk about, you know, whether it's COVID, you know, the treatments that are available, like hydro hydroxychloroquine or iver ivermectin, um, you know, or some of the other cocktails that you can have, you know, zinc, vitamin D3. Uh, what's that other one? Uh, there's another, there's another supplement that you can get, um, quercetin, uh, you know, and you know, the election stuff, I mean, what's going on in Arizona, the, the stonewalling of the, of the forensic audit that the Democrats are trying to do in, in Arizona. Um, it's the same issue. They're trying to suppress the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, the, you know, it's like you're, you know, Jody, you mentioned, uh, the, the little boy from, from Nazi Germany who was killed because he found out the truth. That's sort of what they're doing right now. And, they, you know, the truth, you have to stop and think, who finds the truth an enemy? Right. You know, as, exactly. I said, as I said a little while ago, they're, they're institutionalizing insanity. And, you know, that's part of it. You know, a, a sane, rational person has no fear of the truth. You embrace it. You listen to it. You learn from it. But they are not sane and rational. They are, they are institutionalizing insanity throughout every institution they get their hands on. And... You know, that's really that's the bigger battle that we have to fight. I mean, we're not going to save Belarus and we're not going to save Taiwan until we save ourselves. Right, so I'm not saying we're going to save Belarus. I'm saying that if we happen to be flying in Europe, 
they take us down in Belarus, calling ourselves isolationists doesn't help us. The world doesn't really let you just be isolationist. I just want to say my understanding is not the Democrats who are fighting the uh, audits in Arizona. It's the Republicans in Maricopa County, and they're all up in arms against this audit. It's Republicans in Maricopa County that are fighting it, which is incredible. Just want to add, there's a story today. Um, Ed's talking about, what do you say, institutionalizing insanity? Kellogg's is has a special edition box of cereal inviting children to, quote, create your own pronouns. If, if this is not a world gone insane and institutionalizing, indoctrinating insanity. So last week we spoke about, you know, the doctor who got kicked out of his organization, somebody's been kicked off a psychological association email list, preachers being arrested, and we're indoctrinating little kids on cereal boxes. I think cereal boxes used to have like little mazes or games on the back and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs kind of stuff. And now it's make your own pronoun. We are, <laughs> what we are doing is unbelievable. It's again, what we're not allowed to say and what we absolutely have to say. It's just beyond. Yeah. Speaking of kooky, um, y'all know I'm not the biggest pro-police person. Y'all know I took a relatively strong stance on the Floyd case. I'm blocking his first name right now. George. George Floyd. But I'm a little bit upset that they invited the Floyd family to the White House yesterday. Are, Are you surprised, though? I mean, they're all about political theater, so... Not surprised. Bring, bring somebody else. It, it, we're just why bring bring it all in the open. Let's let let's let you know good and evil split up, and let's let good and evil you know let's let the light shine on what's good and what's evil. I, I I'm glad that they didn't try and you know fake it by bringing somebody that was you know a pretend moderate. I mean it's sort of like you know look at how Merrick Garland has been as Attorney General. You know when Obama nominated him in 2016 to replace Scalia, he was sold off. He was sold as as this moderate guy on the left, and as Attorney General, he's this far left as they come. And I would have rather known that in 2016, not that I would have wanted him confirmed, but, you know, this whole stealth movement of trying to hide a, a true leftist, you know, in, in the guy, I mean, heck, that's what Biden is, right? I mean, Biden was passed off as a moderate too. Mm -hmm. And how is he governing? He's governing as a, as a more radical leftist than even Obama. It's better that we have it all in the open, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah so I'm just wondering from the point of view of insanity, why are people screaming literally on the street? You know, <laughs> George Floyd's family, whatever else he was, he's not an American hero. Who was it? Was Pelosi, who remember, said something about, thank you for being murdered? What was that line she said? A martyr. Yeah, he no. was a martyr for race yeah, Right, but she literally was like, thank you for being murdered. It's good you got murdered because, because of what you did. The message is so insane. How come people aren't screaming? Why are we not, like I said before, why are we not ridiculing that and laughing them off the planet? What exactly are you doing? I think there's two, two things going on, but it kind of harkens back a little bit to my crazy ranting last week on our show about the importance of taking back the meanings of words. I mean, they so distort reality, right? And I think two things then happen amongst the people. Number one, either they get afraid to speak up, which I think with a lot of people in America, I think that's where they are. There's either the, the intellectual door is starting to become ajar a little bit and things are starting to seem strange, but they're afraid to say anything or the door is wide open. They know and, uh, they're afraid to say anything. Or the third option is they don't get it because they're busy, you know, going about their lives, capturing their information through little tidbits on social media or ABC World News, where, you know, CNN, they're getting little tidbits. They're not getting reality. And it's like you brought up before the uh, Russian harvest reports. They're, they're getting maybe the Russian harvest reports where, oh, the harvest's great this year, but they're looking out their backyard going, gosh, that doesn't seem right. I don't see. So, Again, this is why I bring up yet again, history serves 
lessons to discuss, to bring to light, to learn from that we really kind of should be talking about. You know, we're living in such an unbelievably Orwellian society. I mean, it's just beyond. So, you know, you look at the stuff coming out about Fauci and you know, I put up some articles that I shared with you guys. And I think Rand Paul is saying, is Fauci really to blame for the whole epidemic? There's more and more documents coming out that Fauci has known about all this gain of, what is it called, gain of, gain of, function. Gain of function testing and everything else. And we're living in a world where we're celebrating Fauci, the great hero, when it may be Fauci at the best did nothing to help anything. And at the worst is responsible for the death of hundreds but, and hundreds of thousands of people. And nobody's screaming. But the don't emperor's new clothes, which used to be a dumb story. Jody, did you ever read that story to your kids? No, I, I should have, but no, I didn't. But but when you read it I to think they read kids, it at school. Okay, when you read that to kids, they're looking at you like, why didn't they say anything? That's the whole point of the story. What do you mean you didn't say anything? Every idiot sees this. And right. yet we're, like you say, either we're dumbed down or made immune. We literally don't protest no matter what. So if I'm not giving people well, hydroxy killed hundreds of thousands of people, where's the outrage? I think that the, the answer to the question about the emperor has no clothes is, it's not, why didn't they say something? It, the real lesson of that fable is the power of morality. I mean, the reason they didn't say anything is because they were afraid of being called immoral, mm -hmm. right? I mean- it Sounds familiar, doesn't yeah. it? And everyone- I thought the only, it was because it was groupthink and they were afraid of going against- No, the, 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 the guy who, who made the, who made the, the emperor's clothes told the emperor that only people who are immoral can't see them. And then that's how it spread out. And that's why nobody was willing to say anything. Okay. I thought it was more of the group thing, not wanting to speak against. Yeah. So, and the irony is an immoral person telling other people they're immoral. I mean, you know, when you listen to Biden speak and every day there's another clip of him absolutely not being able to say a coherent sentence and literally babble, if that's not the emperor's new clothes, I don't know what it is. And you're not allowed to point it out. And if you point it out, well, that's just he, he stumbles or he stutters and he, we're, what we're seeing, we're literally not allowed to say, hey, wait a minute, he's not wearing anything. So I don't know, maybe it is the moral thing, maybe it's... I see so lots of people on the right... people are informed and empowered... Go ahead, Jody. Uh, I was just going to say, no, I see please. lots of people on the right who are pointing out on an almost daily basis that, that Biden is incoherent and unable to put together a sentence and, you know, or let alone a paragraph. Yeah, but speaking as somebody who used to be in that, like that's speaking to the choir because that choir can only be heard by certain people. The the bulk of where a lot of people get their information continues to be ABC News. You know, uh, this week on Sunday mornings. Wait, is it this week or I don't know the George stuff? I'm just saying they get information and believe they're informed from a lot of these places that have no interest in truly informing people. So they don't talk about. Uh, inconsistencies necessarily with Dr. Fauci. And if they happen to bring it up, it's usually a little tiny second of, and then they sort of brush it away. So these people, I think, like I used to be, you know, believe they're informed, but That's they're not. You know, the other point is the idea that we're pushing Trump's vaccines and the Democrats are forcing Trump's vaccines into people's arms. Isn't and, it funny? Am I crazy? Because I remember the price of chocolate <laughs> was a lot better than it was now. I seem to remember them saying there's no way in the world they would ever take a Trump vaccine. Yes, crazy? Funny. And, and yet we're not allowed to say, wait a minute, chocolate was cheaper yesterday. We're yes. not allowed to say that. They're taking Trump's vaccine funny. and pushing Trump's vaccine and taking credit for the exact vaccine. And once again, our mind is thinking, wait a minute, chocolate was a lot cheaper yesterday. It wasn't more expensive. Mm -hmm. And we're not allowed to have those memories. And you're 100% right, Jody. So when they do like the campus wire, they go out on the campuses or the man on the street interviews, and they say, who said this? Or if you knew so-and-so said this, how would you react? So if you right. took Trump's voice 
or George Bush's, W. Bush's voice mumbling and babbling the way Biden does, people would say, oh my God, he can't be president, he's demented. And I really believe if you show that to many people, they would say that, but they're absolutely not aware of it. I think they are totally cut off from that. That's why I, I think. I think nature has got a way of, of avenging itself in, in this instance. And, you know, they can hide Biden by, by scheduling him for one event a day for, for a short time, but four years is a long time, especially for a man who's that old and that obviously cognitively deficient. Uh, whether he's going to have a stroke or just outright die, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. But uh, I, I find it hard to believe that nature is not going to intervene and, and force people to see that there's a problem. I mean, if not, just kill him. So we'll, we'll see. God, look what we're left with, though. I mean, it's not good any way you look at it, it seems. Oh, that would, I mean, I don't want to wish anybody's death is good. But if, if Camilla is elevated to the presidency, there's no replacement to break ties in the Senate. The Senate becomes deadlocked. That's a that's a big and victory for us. So that is okay. Well, it's a victory for us assuming that, that Romney doesn't come out officially. And my wrong, I don't watch a lot of mainstream uh, TV news, etc. But is Kamala kind of laying low? Well, all vice presidents are supposed to lay low. I mean, how much did you hear about Pence? I mean, right. before the more Kamala, didn't we? Yeah. And even you know, she's in charge of the border, but she won't do any any kind of interviews or something. I don't know. I just have this impression of hiding her cackle. I think I'm the not, opposite. Not, yeah. I think the opposite. I think for a vice president, she has been very much front and center. Ordinarily, the president wants to overshadow, doesn't want to be overshadowed by the vice president. And ordinarily, the vice president's job is limited to just, you know, guessing the president and saying, great job, Mr. President. Um, I think that Pence being appointed, you know, head of the coronavirus task force was sort of an exception. Um, but for the first three years of, of the Trump presidency, Pence was pretty quiet. Um, and I think that's standard for the court. You know, I think that's common. That used to be. But I remember when Obama put Biden in charge of the middle class. Do you remember that? The middle <laughs> class? No, no, I put him in charge of the middle class of making well, sure they're driving or their tax breaks and stuff. Yep, way back early in the Obama administration. And it's amazing because I don't know that Biden did anything positive as the vice president. Well, there was. They kept there him was in charge. This he is something. Much better in Ukraine, though. When they put him in charge of Ukraine, he excelled over there. For himself, I, I don't want to. I don't want to deflect. I like this conversation, but something that did happen under the Obama Biden administration, and please feel free to look up the Census Bureau reports on income in the United States. But during the eight years of the Obama um, Biden administration, um, uh, wealth did transfer from, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the lower class actually lost wealth power, uh, whereas the, the upper class gained wealth power. Now, during the um, Incumbency of the Trump administration, it was the opposite. The percentage of wealth in the United States dropped. I don't know what, exactly which years I have it because I've gone through all the reports, but dropped for the uh, upper percentage and increased for the lower percentages. But of course, they will repeat the lie over and over that uh, Obama and, and his administration was good for the poor and the middle class and Trump transferred wealth to the wealthy. It's just entirely correct. I think part of that is just a holdover from 50 years or so ago. Um, people just associate the Republican Party with the Chamber of Commerce and the Party of Business and the Democrat Party with the Party of the Working Man and the Lower Classes. But that's changed ever since Bill Clinton. Um, and public perceptions haven't caught up to the reality that the Democrat Party is the party of wealthy white liberals and big business. Mm -hmm. And that the Republican Party has become the party of the working class and the average person. Um, and I'm put go ahead. Oh, I was just, I mean, that's basically all I was going to say that, you know, Public perceptions haven't caught up with that reality, but um, and it's only it's really only been since the mid 90s. I mean, Bill Clinton is the one who really changed that. And, and in my mind, I think that if I were going to look at one turning point in, in in history, it was his prosecution of, of Microsoft 
and making Bill Gates cry uncle. And because at the time, Bill Gates was far and away the wealthiest man and Microsoft was the most powerful corporation. And if the Clinton Justice Department could make Bill Gates cry uncle, I think the rest of the business world sat up and took notice and said, we, made, we better make our peace with the Democrat Party. And I think the Democrat Party looked at that as a source of gigantic campaign contributions. And it's become a very mutually profitable relationship for both of them. Um, and the Republican Party, with its focus on social issues and its focus on uh, immigration, has become the party of, of the working class. Mm -hmm. I think that's accurate. But I, I don't know if it's just I'm so jaded. But I, I think that the Democrats were never really for the working class. I, and I, you know, right, I, but I they weren't the party of big business. What's that? I said, right, but they weren't the party of big business 50 years okay. ago. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I look even over, you know, since the 60s and whatever, and question every motive they've ever had. And it just, and obviously I can't prove anything. I'm just saying it, it appears that they've always been exploiting people for their uh, political and financial gains. And so whenever I hear that, you know, that's what they were, you know, they were pro uh, middle class, the little guy, I, I just, I question it. Well, my favorite book in the world is The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And in that book- uh, I read that, the, thanks to the, you. The lead, the lead villain makes, makes a confession privately. And in his confession, he says, when a, when a person speaks of masters and slaves, he always intends to be the master. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats have for a hundred years talked about exploitation, masters and slaves. And I think that that line applies to them. They've been talking about it but they intend to be the, the master and they intend to enslave all of us. And that's what they've been doing. Yeah. Well, they use term, well, it's more like victim villain now and they're the savior. Are you following the Vernon Jones business now? No. Georgia governor. Right, he's running for Georgia governor. Right, former Democrat. Oh, but, I didn't know that. I mean, Democrat. I know who Vernon Jones is, but I, I, I didn't know he was running for governor. switched or not, but I heard an interview the other day and I assume they're gonna have to uh, disappear him because he's like the Clarence Thomas, the absolute greatest fear. That the yeah. Democrats ever have is an eloquent black person saying you can't use the racism card on me. And I grew up in the deep south, and you guys are full of it. And you're lying about everything, and you're exploiting us, etc., and making it worse for us. And I think he's a bit of a phenom right now if he keeps doing it. And he he would love to run against Stacey Abrams because he said I can give it right back much harder than she can. So I don't yeah. know if he's going to survive, but that type of stuff, you know, supposedly the black vote shifting and finally realizing. And maybe we're becoming what the blacks were for many years. Maybe we're becoming just as um, immune to information as they were because they've been not seeing reality for a very, very long time, very much like the liberal Jews. They refuse to see a reality of what the Democrat party is, whether it's anti-Semitism or something else. And I said you know, some, red I mean, pill, blue pill. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, when you listen, and I, I sometimes, I, I hear things and or I hear something my kids are hearing and I get why they hear it. And it sounds so good. It sounds moral. It sounds sometimes things just delivered. It sounds intellectual. It sounds moral. And so I get why people get sucked into it and have a hard time navigating out of it, especially when, like I say, you're busy, you're doing, you know, you're you're going through school or you're doing your job. And so you're just capturing those tidbits that sound so good. They just sound so good unless you dig under the hood, unless you research beyond, it's easy to get captured up into the, but it sounds so good. They sound so nice. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Glenn Lowry. He's um, an, no. an uh, economics guy. He's a black economics guy and um, a conservative. And I mean, he talks about sort of a little bit of that phenomenon of, you know, Barack Obama sounded so good. Barack Obama had the opportunity 
to do things that he, but he very eloquently said things that just were wrong and untrue. But the way he says it and how he looks when he's saying it, it's so strong for a lot of people. Including so I'm going to go back to what Ed said before about that person's clothes. They've succeeded 100% in painting us as immoral. Yeah. And I think that's where they've 100% succeeded. So whether or not our policies are better for the poor and better for minorities, we're immoral for thinking yeah. that way that we shouldn't just throw money at people. Yeah. And I think that's the big part of the issue. Yeah. And you have to just recognize what the power of morality is for human behavior. I mean, with the exception of a psychopath and a sociopath, everybody wants to do good. Right. I mean, why do you have propaganda ministries in in dictatorships when people are not free to escape? Precisely because people need to believe that all yes. the crap that they're dealing with is for some good cause. They they would never tolerate the crap they're going through if they knew it was just to enrich the ruling class. Right. They have they to be the led truth. to believe. huh? If they knew the truth. Right. They have to be led to believe that it's for some greater good, some greater purpose. So, you know what? You know what fascinates me is. So when I was very conservative. I very much look down on drug addicts and alcoholics as people who are failures, people who couldn't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, let them reap what they sow. And then I worked in the addiction field for quite a while and studied addictions, et cetera, et cetera. But the liberals kind of were the ones who were on the side, quote, so to speak, of the addicts and feeling sorry and helping them to recovery and programs, et cetera. But the most, I guess, ubiquitous, most successful, at least in the books, way of treating an addict is by forcing people not to enable them. The whole creed of helping the addict is do not enable. Don't do what feels good. Don't do what's intuitive. Of I gotta have another drink, I gotta have another drink. Okay, okay, I want you to feel good, here's another drink. No, you have to learn to be cruel and cold so that they hit bottom and that's the only thing that's, they're teaching you that the moral way to help somebody is to not do the feel good thing, to not feed the addiction. Yeah, well, in everything else in the world, they're still selling. The only way to be good is to give more welfare, more food stamps, more unemployment than they're getting paid. So to me, there's like, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum and they're arguing both of them. Am I making yeah, well, sense? We're being forced to forget what works and what's right. And what they're pushing. And what they're pushing. It's worse than that even like, because look at how bad our inner seas are. I mean, the poverty, the violence, the drugs, and simultaneously we're told that the Democrats and their policies and worldview are the solution to those ills of society, right? Um, and just like you just described, Steve, it's really not, they talk about it from the perspective of caring. And so it sounds good, but really they are about perpetuating. And if that's not what they, and I don't like to impose intent on people, but if their intent wasn't to perpetuate poverty, to perpetuate drug abuse, to perpetuate violence, they've had decades to solve these problems. They've never needed Republicans to do it in these inner cities. Right, but again, they're applying the exact, opposite. They're doing doing the exact opposite of what they preach. They're enabling, yes. enabling, enabling, enabling. Yes. And like you say, um, for them to say they haven't destroyed every inner city in the entire country, and for the one second out of the year where they'll say, yeah, these inner cities are in horrible shape, it's because of a push in. Yeah. And, well, and they I have that both ways as well. They'll conveniently blame others, um, but I think that's a really good lesson to learn of that it's deflection. It's their way to say, don't look at what our policies have done because they don't need you know, uh, the federal government or conservatives or Republicans to no, shape their policies to a, a more appropriate uh, avenue to helping their people. They've always had the power to do it themselves since they can't and they fail. They need to deflect away from their failures and say, it's not our fault. 
it's, well, it's, it's racist America. It's it's racist conservatives and Republicans. It's Donald Trump. This is none of this is our fault. Well, I mean, again, it just goes back to the power of morality. They they mm -hmm. will always point to how their policies are moral, mm -hmm. and that the fact that they didn't work is irrelevant because they're doing the right thing, and that you've done the right thing, and you know somebody somebody else is is at fault for it not working. They never question whether their morality is wrong. They never question whether they're worshiping a false god. They never they never stop and think. Uh, you know, maybe they have some personal responsibility. No, they, they just accept that their morality is correct and that everybody agrees with their morality. And, and anyone who doesn't is immoral himself. And, and that's why, you know, it doesn't matter whether things work because, you know, they want to they die and go to heaven, so to speak. Right, so it just fascinates me that what's moral here is the opposite of what's moral there. And they get away with both beliefs. The conservatives that's are always wrong in each direction. But they're always right in each direction. Well, and that's because the conservatives don't disagree enough on, on issues of morality and they're checkmated and they, they wind up not speaking up because they, they feel ashamed on some level. I mean, that, why do you think they don't argue about racism? I mean, it's so clear that the Democrats are the racist party. It's so clear that Democrat policies perpetuate racism and yeah. hurt blacks more than anyone, but yet Republicans can't seem to point that out, even in the most gentle ways. So I have a question. I'm going to bring this up since we're both in the South right now. Um, the Democrats succeed at painting conservatives as the racist, Southerners as the racist, hillbillies who hate blacks and hate the other. And, and I'm down here in a place where you can get some food or something. And you see the way the whites and blacks interact here. And it seems the total opposite mm -hmm. of everything that they tell you you're going to see yeah. when you go to the South. And I've had other people who have traveled extensively in the States and they say they see the least amount of racism in the most conservative Southern Western places. They yeah. see none. Yet in liberal New York, you see so much more overt racism. Zed, you've been down there for months. I don't know if you're seeing any of what I see, but I, you know, I used to go to Richmond when I was a kid in the 60s, and there definitely were vestiges of racism in Virginia in the 60s. But for the last several decades, as far as I know, the South is so unbelievably well integrated overall. There may be a pocket here or there, but I don't know if you see that down here. I see that, but I, I think another thing, I don't live in a big city down South. I, uh, my, my general understanding is that the big cities down South, like Charlotte, for instance, are not very different than big cities up north. Um, but I think another, you know, the you know one of the elephants in the room though is black racism. And I think when you know up north, you know, or in these big cities where you have high concentrations of black people with high crime areas and and black racism towards whites, I think a natural reaction to racism directed at you is to feel racism towards the perpetrator. And when blacks are per perpetrating racism towards whites. I think it's only natural to expect that whites or at least some whites are going to band together in their own tribe and say, well, we just don't want to be around blacks. Yeah. I think that's so part tragic. of it. But I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think for the most part, most people in America have stopped seeing color, probably because of public schools to a big extent. Everybody grows up with everybody else and at least born a bigot. Part of it maybe the military. Well, they're being trained to see color only now. First and foremost is color now. The Democrats are pushing that. Yeah, yeah. But my sense is when kids have been going to public schools for one or two generations where everybody's together, all races, unless you push racism on them, they're growing up literally not noticing differences, literally. Mm -hmm. Just like they wouldn't notice a difference if somebody had no hands or feet. That just is what it is. And if the Democrats don't push racism, I think pretty much no one else looks, which is right. why Columbia has to have six graduations and why more colleges are having dorms, which are separate for different races, because they have to keep the races split. But I don't, I mean, I'm not living down here. Yeah. yeah. My sense is nobody cares. The average person, the whites are eating with the blacks and nobody cares anymore. Nobody yeah. even notices anymore. And yet they're pushing so strongly 
critical race theory, et cetera. So somebody just texted me this. I don't know the source. Breaking news. President Biden asks U.S. intelligence agencies to redouble efforts to investigate the origins of COVID-19 and presses China to cooperate. Biden says more evidence is needed to determine whether the virus might have come from a laboratory. Now, since we're kind of talking about that before, um, I'm sure it's not because they're coming to the truth. Is there now that Trump is out for so many months, they can get away with pretending that's what they said all along? Oh, I, well, how many times does this have to happen where the media is outraged at some debate that people on the right want to engage in? Literally, people, we're just trying to engage in debate and discussion. Maybe we should be considering this. Maybe we should consider this possibility. And you get called horrifying names like, you know, conspiracy theorist, racist. I mean, you name it. My, I've got family members who use those that, you know, the conspiracy theorists. I'm just trying to engage in intellectual discussion. How many times does the media have to uh, implement those uh, those verbal assaults against people and train others to implement those verbal assaults against people to um, to disengage discussions and possibilities only to have been proven wrong? How many times does this have to happen? Okay, and, so I'm going to put. Why don't they have to apologize? They don't have to be apologetic. They don't have to. It's it's they have no conscience, it seems. So I want to put my tinfoil hat on. So if I'm correct, that they can a year from now say that this escaped from a lab, maybe even on purpose. And we've been saying that all along. Mm -hmm. And yeah. are we ever going to get to the point where, and I know this sounds totally insane, we're the ones who've been saying all along that these elections were a fraud. We're the ones who've been saying yeah. all along that they was cheated. I mean, how far can this go? Yeah. So well, I'll address that in a moment, but my guess is that. The, the dam has broken and that and the, the left knows that they're not going to be able to hide the truth about this virus having come from a Chinese laboratory any longer. Um, so I think that they're trying to get out ahead of it. And more importantly, I think they're setting up Fauci to be the fall guy. You think so? <laughs> I mean, are you, you think, think so? facetious or? No, what no, I'm saying. So yes, I think, I think they're setting up Fauci to be the fall guy. He's been he's been in his job for about 50 years. He's ready for retirement. He's, he's not, he doesn't have good motives, I don't think. I, I I'm sorry. I think I think he'll wind up retiring. He's within the year or so, he'll just Lucky say, you know, it's time for me to go. And they're setting him up to be the fall guy so that you know anybody who raises any questions about whether the Democrats or the Chinese Communist Party were involved in this, everybody will just blame Fauci. Oh, it's all Fauci's fault. And Fauci will leave the scene. And once he leaves the scene, there'll be no interviews of him. Nobody will be nobody will ask him questions. And it'll become a dead issue. That's what I think uh, is going on. I, I just have to say it was worth listening to this whole show to hear that because that's pretty interesting. Well, listen, I don't think it's good him. enough. I, I don't think it's good enough that he just gets to retire after the, the horrifying damage he's done to uh, public trust in, in science, public trust in you know our public health officials. His leadership has been so damaging to those things and I don't even think we're beginning to see the tip of that iceberg yet because people still believe him more than they should. Uh, but when ultimately truth comes out, they'll see how his dishonesty, his inconsistencies, I think, I, I mean, he, his he politicized were... science, he politicized healthcare, he politicized the science around it so damagingly. Um, I, right, but he did it, at, somebody gave him the orders to do it. He didn't just go from don't wear a mask to wear a mask on his own. Somebody told him to say that. And I think the whole goal of making him the fall guy is to prevent anyone from finding out who told him to say that. That's what I think. I think that makes sense. But, you know, once again, they're going to say, this is what we were saying the whole time. We never trusted Fauci. And in our minds, we're going to be saying, wait a minute, wait, you're pushing 24-7 on TV saying he's the new God. And they're going to put that. Oh, they're going to the say, well, we believed him. We Listen, didn't know he was a liar. We thought he changed his mind. 
And you know what? In Stalinist Russia? Seriously. This is what Marx- it sounds like. This is like, really, Lenin was never a good guy, right? In 1520. Lenin was always a good okay, guy. Trotsky was always a traitor, right? Right. right. They I, airbrushed I, people from history. This is unbelievable. If they didn't do this. You know, it was literally the guy. And as far in- as the whole question about the elections, I think the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming. It's certainly not enough to prove in a court of law, but we know that there wasn't greater turnout anywhere in the country other than in Philadelphia, Atlanta, Milwaukee, uh, you know, all the places that turned the election and had all these uh, ballots that were you know, only filled out for president and not filled out for any other down ballot races. Clearly, there was some fraud. There, there was a lot of fraud there, in my opinion. Now, when I say clearly, I don't mean we can, we can go to court on it. Whether, whether the, I think the whole issue is going to be whether the dam breaks on the election fraud stuff, the way I think it's breaking on Fauci and his connection to the Wuhan lab. But then they're going to be able to say, we were always thought this was a great vaccine. We always thought Fauci was a fraud. Yeah. And we always thought there was election fraud. And our heads are spinning. How can we get away with this? Yes, they can. Well, I mean, I, I still believe that the reason that the Republicans, that Republicans like Brian Kemp in Georgia and his secretary of state, uh, I forget his name, uh, you know, the Republicans controlled Georgia government, and yet they still wouldn't investigate the fraud. And my inference that I draw from that is Republicans commit fraud, too, in, in, red, in red places and, you know, use, use their own shady tactics to maintain control in places that they control. And that's why they don't want forensic audits. That's just my interpretation. That's my, the inference that I draw. Okay, so I'm going to tell you something I heard from a very smart person today. They also want to be on the moral side. They want to be loved and thought of as pure. Yeah. So it's it's that and it's also that. Mitt Romney likes to go up there and say, oh, come on, the Democrats are wonderful people. And then he looks so, he feels so moral into himself, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to fight. So it's, just, it's all this. We're, we're the big guys. We're not. Um, virtue signaling is the new. It's just, but what scares me is that then they can go to the other side and pretend they were always there. Mm-hmm. And again, they are prisoner clothes. We're sitting back wondering, how can you dare? I got to tell you, if you're right about Fauci, First of all, I owe you a beer, then I owe you a drink here. But <laughs> I, I'm stunned. Is is it really going to go that far? It's it's not going to hurt him. He's, he's just 75 years old, 80 years. I mean, how much longer is he going to live? But that's so Stalinist, isn't that exactly the way? So the I mean, I predict they put somebody up and then just what do you predict? What do you predict, Jody? No, so I mean, on this theme, you know, 15, 20 years, they're going to be teaching our kids that uh, the coronavirus happened because of capitalists, capitalism. I mean. That's one of their biggest boogeyman go-to. Who do they blame? Because they can't blame communists or government or, you know, that's what they tend to do, blame. Just like they're blaming global warming on capitalism. Eventually, they'll drop their clothes and they'll just say, oh, it's capitalism's fault. Well, actually, capitalism still exists, but that might, maybe they'll put that, you know. As I'm there. laughing, I remember that in the 70s, they were pushing global cooling. They did change on a dime yes. and they did get away with it. Mm-hmm. And those of us saying, wait a minute, yesterday's cover was global cooling. How did you switch? And they did get away with it for the it, most part. It's astonishing. The things that, the, 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 the really the, the assaults to intellect that they get away with is, it's terrifying actually, because you really, I don't know, I've said this before, I kind of grew up thinking we had, you know, evolved intellectually and these kinds of bizarro mind things where they could, you know, do these intellectual people was, a, was, was things of history, was things of the past. That's not how, you know, people are smarter because we know history. But when you bury history, it's- Okay, so I grew up as an American. And as American, I would have bet my house if I owned one, that unlike communist countries, we're not being always lied to. We're different than they are. 
And it seems like we may not be quite as different as I'd like to believe. Yeah. Because it leaves me in a good place. So I still want to insist, well, we're better than China, we're better than Russia. But are our minds being twisted any less than theirs? And if so, we're in control. Well, when you say that, I mean, we've got free trade with China. We've got our social media companies and our media companies desperate to get into the Chinese market. We are importing the Chinese system back here. So I don't know that you can say we're better than China. I mean, maybe we just haven't quite caught up to their totalitarianism yet. But the whole goal of the system right now is geared toward us importing Chinese communist, Chinese communist uh, censorship to America. Our, our companies, both social media and just regular media, go over there. They learn all the techniques of censorship. And then they come back here and they're private companies. And they try and use the shield of the Constitution as private entities to use all the knowledge they learn working together with the hand in glove with the, with the communist Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party to, to perfect censorship. So when you say we're different, I don't, we were different, but the whole goal of the system right now is to make us the same. Okay, let me, let me ask you this way. Because again, I was a straight conservative. If you would have told me the government as a rule lies to its citizens, I would say not in America, that's what communists do, North Korea, communist China, um, Russia, and those kind of countries. Did you believe that? Did I believe that, that our government- we were being told much more of the truth and reality than they were in those countries? And if you believe it, do you still believe that now? I guess I would have believed it years ago, but I don't believe it now. Okay, so you're saying you're a little bit like me and that that has changed. That's a really scary idea. Yeah. Because I'm starting to wonder, are we being lied to any less than Stalin is Russia? And that then that pulls the rug out and that brings to what people call a crisis of faith. And why I'm not sure, but I'm not sure that reality has changed as much as just my perception has changed. That's even scarier. I mean, that's F- what I'm wondering about. FDR yeah. notoriously lied throughout his presidency. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've been lied to for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my perception of it now is that it's much more pervasive. I mean, it used to, if you'd asked me, you know, a year or two or 10 ago, yeah, I would have said they only lie to us when they, you know, on certain occasions, but now I think it's just, part of the course. I mean, there are times, you know, when my son, you know, I'll ask him a question and just reflexively, he lies to me. It's like the first answer, no matter what I ask, he has to lie. And then he'll stop and think, well, what do I really want to tell dad? And I, and I think that's the way our government is right now. They reflexively lie to us about everything. So now that we want to go back and say, it really always was like that, or is that even too painful to contemplate? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, FDR, of course, they lied about the depression and they lied about all that stuff. And are the liberals, like Jody used to be, who said they lied us into all the wars, et cetera. Are they not as crazy as I was raised to think they were? No, they're definitely as crazy as you think they were. But oh. was the government lying about so many more things? So if the government is lying about coronavirus's origin, we know the government is lying about hydroxychloroquine okay. saving lives, then- But here's the thing. I hear you going. the hydroxychloroquine thing. But, I mean, I, but, but that's a different discussion. The left never, they don't use words to communicate truth. They use them to manipulate. Yeah. And, when, when they were saying that the government lies to us before, that was just their way of saying, we don't like this government, we wanna change this government. It wasn't, it wasn't you put, there's no truth or false, falsity of that statement from their perspective. They were like a parrot. You know, a parrot might say Polly wants a cracker and it has no truth or falsity. It's a completely arbitrary claim. It's just sounds. And that's, that's what the leftists were when they were making claims about, oh, the government lies to us. It wasn't based on truth or falsity. It was okay. just, what do we need to say to get people to okay. vote for us? So the broken clock idea. They happened to have been right a couple of yeah. times when they said it, whether or not they believed it. But I'm still stuck with the scary part of were they right? Were they right twice a day? And the government, if the government could lie about hydroxychloroquine to the deaths of tens of thousands of people, could they have lied about 
this work? Could they have lied about other cures? You know, you go back to Tuskegee. So when we hear about the Tuskegee experiment, I know we, the conservatives, I always minimize that in my mind. I say, okay, it's a one-off that the government did a horrific thing and killed X amount of people. Or interning, the Japanese was a one-off. But am I starting to wonder if maybe it wasn't a one-off? Well, and I think- not a good thing. Mike, can you hear us? Yes, I can. I might. Okay, so you can join in if you like. Go ahead, Jody. <laughs> Better late than ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to say, I think we should, I don't know, there's a part of me at least that wants to assume always that politicians and government are liars. I'm, sho I'm shocked to learn that politicians lie, our government <laughs> lies. It's crazy, isn't it? It just started this week, Mike. So don't worry, you're behind. <laughs> no, but I'm starting to wonder, were they always this bad and how scary that is? And that goes against all of my conservative upbringing. I, I think as the government is, and, and power is centralized more and more, they have more reason to lie to us. Right. Well, and I think I think the notion that we should trust our government is is contrary to the way our country was founded. I mean, yeah. yep. even if you think they're telling the truth, we still should be skeptical. We yes. should still be distrusting them. Yep. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, I'm going to ask the the question: When we used to have these start negotiations with the old Soviet Union, and we all took it for granted, well, we can't trust the Soviets because they lie, unlike us, parenthetically. Was that also a lie? Were we just as much liars as they were? Maybe not just to as whom? much yet, but you to, know. The, to the Soviets or to us. Well, I mean, I'm sure we lied to the Soviets. That's called bluffing. It's called negotiating. I mean, no, where we also lie, where we also say we don't have X amount of munitions and we did, just like we accuse them of doing the same trust but verify. So were we lying to our people and to them? Are we any better than they are? That's my really bottom line question. I sure hope that when we were negotiating with the Russians, that we weren't telling them we have this many missiles, this many bullets, this many men, this many tanks in this place. I mean, I hope we weren't disclosing all that information. But, I sure hope we were giving them some uh, misinformation. I think the old saying is all's fair in love and war. And I think that includes the Cold War. <laughs> so, so when Stalin said, not Stalin, Brezhnev, whoever it was at the time, said they don't trust us any more than we trust them, he was correct. The whole point was well, we needed a way to verify, they? right? We needed to verify how many atom bombs or warheads they had. And we always assumed they were lying. Are we saying we were lying too after signing? And if so, are know. they right? What was, well, was, go ahead, was, Mike. was Reagan lying about Star Wars when he put that out there? I mean, you know. I don't think he was, you, actually. You, you, well, he might not have been, but it was enough to scare the bejeez out of them. So that's he all that matters. He said we can invent Star Wars. And for those who think he was nuts, I invite you to Israel. Right. I think... I disagree with the whole premise underlying the question to the Soviets of how do we verify how many weapons you have? The issue wasn't how many missiles they had. The issue was ideologically, their system said that they had to destroy us and that they, there was no way we could live peacefully and coexist with them. And that as soon as they felt like they were going to be able to, to defeat us, they would start a war with us. So the whole prince, the whole uh, underlying premise of negotiating with them was folly from the beginning. So the fact that we were wondering, oh, should we trust them? Should we not trust them? Well, of course, you're starting down on a false path on a false premise. Of course, you're gonna run into contradictions. There's no there's no way to trust someone that's your sworn enemy. It's just, there's no way. Okay, so for instance, I always took it for granted that other countries sought empire, America never sought empire. Is that also a falsehood? I don't think that's a falsehood. I don't think the United States is looking for an empire. If anything, we're looking to subjugate ourselves to the rest of the world. Well, now we are gonna go back before that, before we got that bad. In other words, in what ways are we better than quote unquote communists, because again, we're so, some of us are sort of the same age within a decade or two, and they were the bad guys and we were the good guys, right? It's not how we were raised. 
Yeah. We pledge allegiance to our flag and they were the bad guys who we had to contain. Uh -huh. And they were saying the same things about us. Are we really that much better than they are? I really don't even want to go there. Well, you need to go there because like I said earlier, you know, the issue of morality is a very powerful one. And if we're not self-confident that we are morally better than them, well, that's a problem. And, and, and if we're not morally better than them, we sure as hell better do something to become morally better. Right, because we're not politicians and psychopathic enough to be able to live with that contradiction. I, I think it's interesting. It's just interesting that you bring up that good good guy versus bad guy thing that we grew up with, and, and I think this past generation, it, it has led to some of the feelings toward their own country that they have. You know, things are pretty simple in a way when we were growing up. Even though we had that that threat of the Soviet Empire, you know, we we believed in in our country. We were the good guys. They were the bad guys. But since the fall of the Berlin Wall, I, I don't think we've had we've had that, and we've had a generation growing growing up. Um, you know, not not really having that that feeling about their own country. I think you're right, Mike. And so in comes with that this illusion that they can create around it, right? Because the reality is not as stark maybe now. And so they can create this illusion around um that way of life. And then you get, you know, yay, communism is good. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. Okay. I think we're gonna wrap up for today and we may pick up next week a little bit to discuss all in the family because I think that's what that show was all about. Were we the good guys? Are we the bad guys? And it's kind of intriguing me at the moment. Who are we really? So if anybody wants to make some final comments before we lose the internet again, I'm starting to love the South less if the South has lousy internet. I'm not sure. I blame it on those racists in the South. Although supposedly they have 5G down here pretty good. So I don't know if that's true, but that's what they told me yesterday. So We do. You do really? They have 5G working down here? Yeah. You got it on your phone? Uh, I believe so. Okay, hey, now Mike, you're here. I know. Oh, okay, there the whole thing goes. I'm moving tomorrow. Hear me now? I hear you. Okay. Yeah, Joey. yeah I think the uh, problem is on their end. Yeah, I think the problem yeah, is on our end. It's too. that North Carolina internet, I think. It's that North yeah. Carolina internet. All right. So, okay. I'll save my closing for next week. Okay. Next week should be regular time again. Once again, Wednesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Okay. And hopefully with Northern internet. Yeah. <laughs> which may or may not work better. So as always, we'll be up as a podcast as soon as possible. And please write your feedback other than the technical problems that we know we had today and the other feedback about how to make this a better show. Please send that into EJS show at protonmail.com. Thank you very much and have a wonderful afternoon.